Uh, Febreze on your testes. What am I talking about? It's been a long day. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only. There are more Cecils out there, but this is my Cecil. Yes, there is. A, there's also a guy named Cecil Adams who is a fellow genius. A fellow genius. I think you're giving yourself a little too much credit there, buddy boy. Hey, there's only two Cecils I know of, and we're both geniuses. You know what? I can absolutely, I can live with that. So, uh, uh, well, because apparently, according to the comments, you're the only reason anyone listens to this show. So there you go. Apparently, you you smug bastard, aren't I? I think, it, it, but yeah, Batman versus Superman is going to be the downfall of this show. We will get into a brand new fight once once Justice League comes out on Blu-ray, and we can debate whether the director's cut or whatever the it would be is better or worse than what came out in theaters. Because you and I could fight about it right now, but even I agree it's not fair because we know what a Franken film was released to theaters. That's not even fair to judge Justice League at this point. I still, I still think it was like, for, for all the issues it went through, I still think it ended up being entertaining. Not the movie that it was supposed to be, but still not like a complete train wreck. Like there have been movies that have been Frankenfilm before where it's just like, they're unwatchable. But this we'll was still- We'll talk about like, some of those tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we will talk about some of those this evening. And some of those, some other ones that are just plain out garbage. Peter will not be here. He is way far away from his home tonight, so he's just not able to make it in time. But what you guys need to do if you want to help support the show a little bit is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you'll get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com, it really helps support the show, and you get some good stuff with it, too, besides whatever you buy. With Justice League coming out, and again, I'm not going to argue with you about that tonight because it's not fair to the movie. You get these movies that are just complete disasters behind the scenes, where you have maybe a crazy director an out-of-control producer, a star's ego running amok, or just other reasons that films turn out not bad, because we can all debate whether a film is good or bad, but films that are so batshit inept that you wonder how they ever got to a final cut or a release cut at all. So that's the parameters. Not necessarily bad, but bad in a how-the-fuck-did-this-happen kind of way. I showed you some of my list. I don't know what's on yours. Hit me with one of your films that you think is just an inept movie. Sprang Break. Sprang Break forever. I actually saw someone on YouTube trying to debate that Spring Breakers is a deep movie that attacks the ideas of feminism, social status, and consumerism. It's this subtle movie with a true message. And I just sat there going, what the fuck is the matter with you? Well, some people uh, will come up with a, you know, concoction for anything, the mental gymnastics, as it were, to try to make sense out of the gigantic pile of crap that they just watched 
have sat through some really awful movies and I've sat through some movies that uh, I, you know, at the end I was not happy. Every now and then a movie comes along I watch that I am literally furious by the end. And Spring Breakers, I was furious at the end of it because it went on forever. It was so trying so hard to be intelligent. So I think that that's kind of the part of why some people think that it's intelligent is because they have this notion that it's trying to be intelligent where the gun cocks throughout the film and Alien is such a parody of of a person and like the way that they would repeat things over and over and over throughout the film. We're going to Yo, die, motherfucker, die, motherfucker, die, like they would do it from different angles and they would say it in different tones. They were trying to make this in intellectual film. And in the end, it's just a complete piece of shit. I hated Spring Breakers. It was painful to watch. And it was and then I looked, you know, up Harmony Kareen. I wasn't entirely familiar with him. But then I was kind of searching through like his film history. And I'm like, oh, OK, this is a guy who's kind of made a career out of making films like this, of making films kind of fool people into thinking that they're smart, but they're really just complete trash heaps. You can do this with any film. You can do this with any movie where you can overthink it and add depth that's not there. For instance, what if I told you that Michael Bay's Transformers movies are a brilliant treatise on how transgender people are misappropriated in this country in this country and in this society, so they have to literally transform themselves into something that they're not in a way to fit into what people think that they're supposed to look like, all while feeling completely alienated. I'm sure somebody is is has I just made all that up off the top of my head by the way oh yeah I'm sure if you could record that you'd probably have a million viewer on your hand you know million views on your hand like that like that guy who did the uh what is it the casual misogyny of the big bang theory and it's like or no or what was it Whatever the, the, the dorkening, I forget whatever word of the minute he used. And, uh, and that ended up getting millions of views. Yeah, you throw some word salad together and you'll get somebody, uh, in the, uh, SJW spectrum. And I, I'm sorry to be throwing that around, but it's true. You'll get somebody who will latch onto that and be like, yeah, well, and Cecil, believe, believe Cecil, it. Don't you know? That Santa Claus Conquers the Martians is actually a treatise on a, as a cautionary tale of the fear of automation removing American jobs coupled with the very real threat of corporate espionage, not to mention the racism of the Martians is literally part of the Red Scare? Don't you realize how deep Santa Claus Conquers the Martians really is? Well, now I think you're going too far. <laughs> well, I'm also, I'm also pulling all this out of my ass, but that's not the point. But like, okay, when I think of an inept movie, sometimes it can be, you know, bad special effects, you know, special effects that never should have made it out there. Like as much as, no, this is not a bad movie at all. But like an example would be like It. I loved the new It overall, but there were a couple of moments of CGI I thought that was a first render. Why? Like when, when the bully kid was knocked down the well, I said, that was not a finished render. Why was that in the released product? So sometimes it's like Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat Annihilation level special effects where you go, no way was that how this was meant to look. That <laughs> Let's leave all the story nonsense out of it. And the you will die well, no, it's level the, of acting. Mother, you're alive. Too bad you will die. Yeah. And I actually really like that actress, that actress, Munsta Vander, I think is her Instead name. Of the, the South Instead African. of Vander. Yeah. I really like her, but my God, is she awful. And Brian Thompson, great. 
totally wrong for Shao Kahn. Well, I don't think it's necessarily there. That is a case of they're not bad. It's that the the director and the movie are so bad that it's is pulling them down with it. And Mortal Kombat Annihilation also exemplifies another part of bad movie making or inept movie making is what the hell were you thinking? Like the huge double man balls that you have to go through that you have to get into like the giant hamster balls in the movie and you just go you this was never going to be cool what were you thinking yeah i remember when that happened i was like i don't understand the logistics of okay you can transport throughout these vents that are underneath the why not just have like teleportation or something like it like it just would seem like a, a much easier and more believable way of getting around than these giant hamster balls that travel gravity under the earth or some nonsense i understand they were trying something new but it's like you'd think someone along the line would raise their hand and be like yeah this is a bad idea which also brings you to just bizarre are you working out a fetish kind of moments like in the avengers the sean connery ralph fines avengers they're all in the big big business meeting around the meeting table all in the colorful bear costumes you just kind of go somebody's working out a fetish aren't they well i i chalk that up more to the avengers tv show being really bizarre and something like that popping up in the avengers show wouldn't be out of uh out of the blue it'd be like oh all right that's about normal They're so i think that's like, could be colorful fruit loop teddy bears but okay and then and then they all run around this like uh factory outside and they shoot people and sure it was that kind of movie what about when a comedy is so unfunny you and I have discussed it before. When a horror movie is not scary, it can still be a good movie. There can be good characters and good moments. When a sci-fi movie or an action movie is not good, you can still get something out of it. The worst thing ever is when a comedy is not funny. What about when you get something like, did you ever see Second Sight, the John Larroquette, Bronson Pinchot movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. Exa exactly. And you just go, this whole thing, nobody stopped to say, guys, None of these jokes work. We need to rewrite this. How do you make a movie like Second Sight and go all the way through production with nobody going, stop, just stop, stop, stop. This is not working. Stop. The, the point where I had kind of reached, I don't remember how far into the movie. I think it was maybe 45 minutes into the movie when I had reached the point of where I'm like, this is not ever going to get better. Bronson Pinchot went into the building and like, cause he was like having like some kind of conniption and like the lights all flew out of the building and then like they never addressed what the hell he just did. All right. They're just kind of making this up as they go along, aren't they? I, that's another one I've forgotten about how much I hated that movie. It's terrible. It's beyond terrible. And yeah, comedies are rough. There are a lot of comedies, and this is something that we're getting into now. We're getting the, uh, you know, it's not funny, so it's, it's funny somehow. And that, I'm like, no, I, I, I don't want to come, I don't want the anti-comedy. I want you to make me laugh. I don't want you to make me laugh because it's uncomfortable. I want you to make me laugh. So we're getting a lot of that garbage right now. But yeah, the Second Sight was a major stinker. 
another comedy along those lines. Remember the Chevy Chase movie Funny Farm? When you have the move, when you have the word funny in your title, to be a complete stone-faced unfunny movie is a sin against film. I've never actually seen <laughs> Funny Farm, mostly because like nobody it did. Was if you look off... at its box office take, yeah, really, mostly because it was coming off of the heels of Fletch, and it just uh, it, it didn't look like it was going to be any good, and I was right. <laughs> Sometimes you get one where you go, okay, there's a kernel of an idea here. You really couldn't be bothered to write jokes. Like, have you ever seen the Elliot Gould movie, Dead Men Don't Die? No. The title is the cleverest part. (laughs) Okay, like you said about Second Sight, where you get the feeling it's being made up as it goes along. I believe with Dead Men Don't Die, they probably had a beginning and an end. And everything else in that, they're like, just make it up on the day. Something you guys have to realize if you ever work in television or in movies. What's funny to you on the set doesn't necessarily translate to actually funny. Because you and I both know from working behind the scenes, you can just have hilarious things going on on set. And then you show it to your wife or whatever, and she's like, I don't get it. And you just, yeah, you kind of had to be there. That's what the whole movie of Dead Men Don't Die was like. I bet on set they were going, this is just gangbusters. And the audience is going, why is this in the movie? I mean, that is rough because there are times where you really have to take the risk. Like there are some times where you'll have a movie where you show it to to a producer and the producer doesn't get why it's funny and they try to fight back against it. So sometimes you really do have to like if you believe and that's why comedy is so hard, because uh, what is funny for one person may not be funny for another person. So it's party. Things that it'll work for this group and it won't work for this group. Talk to somebody. Hey, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. But then you get other movies that just they think are they're great and they are everyone hates them. So it it is very risky. Comedy is one of the most risky things to come out with. That's why a lot of people will gravitate towards doing like a horror film to start out with, because, you know, horror film, even a bad horror film, there's usually some enjoyment to be had. Uh, and you don't sink your whole boat into it. Whereas a comedy, if a comedy fails, it fails hard and it fails a lot of money. Well, what about when a comedy fails, but still ends up being funny, even when it probably shouldn't? Especially if you guys, if, if any of you were reading Entertainment Weekly or any of the magazines when Hudson Hawk was being made, that thing was a cluster f- behind the scenes. Bruce Willis's ego was out of control. Parts of the movie were ad-libbed. Yet the fact that the movie is honestly funny kind of is, is, is a fluke, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing with Hudson Hawk was when it came out, critics just hated it. Like, they did not see... I saw it in the any- theater four times. But that's what I'm saying. Critics, they hated the film, but there was a lot of people like you and me. I mean, I didn't see it in the theater who saw it and was like, you know what? This is, this has a certain charm to it. It's, you want me to rape them? Yeah. You want me to rape them? You know, it's like so bad, but it's, it's funny. And, uh, you know, Bruce Willis, uh, you can tell his ego is out of control because he's singing. I mean, that right there is uh, because, you know, he, he still, he was doing his whole return of Bruno at the time and uh, really pushing that thing forward. It definitely does smell of a vanity project that uh, went off the rails. 
it is a vanity project that went off the rails that at the end of the day may not have been the movie that they intended to make, but is still very funny. I mean, the scene, it, it has lots of uh, Three Stooges kind of moments in it where he's being punched and knocked over and, you know, and he keeps knocking and then they stop hitting him and he's still moving like that. Like that's that is fun, like slapstick humor that you wouldn't expect in a Bruce Willis crime caper film. I think people were kind of expecting, I think if I remember correctly, I think didn't the trailers kind of sell it a little bit diehardish and it ended up it ended up being not diehard at all. The only so the think, only thing the only thing with Hudson Hawk that I think needed to be controlled, you know, I'm just going off the final cut, is Sandra Bernhard. She is so over the top, she's in a different movie. Well, um I was never really big on Sandra Bernhard to begin with. No, but I mean she's distracting with how ridiculously mm-hmm. over the top she is. Because the rest of them, even if they're not playing it serious, you could believe, okay, that character does exist in the real world, even if it's a goofy one. Her character is straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. I could see that. But, okay, you mentioned Vanity Projects. What's the ultimate Vanity Project? Battlefield Earth. I, again, <laughs> I'm I going to... in the theater. I, I paid money. I was one of the maybe 12 people that did. But I paid money to go see that in the theater. I, I'd never read any Scientology books at that point. Never. I mean, I'd read some Hubbard sci-fi. I went into that basically blind and walked out going, that happened. I just remember leading up to it, Travolta being so excited. You know, this is the the movie that it needs to be. This is going to be amazing. This is, and I'm like, you know, Battlefield Earth. It's this, it's this loved sci-fi book. It's freaking huge. It's a terrible book. I will say, I've read it since. It oh really? Is a horrible. Okay, remember that. Special... But there are people that like love the. But I'm like, right. Ugh. Okay, Cecil, remember that 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 gas that the Cyclos had to breathe. That's why they needed the nose plugs on Earth. Right. Do you know what that's called in the book? Breathe gas. Oh, it's yeah. It's that's the thing. It's everything that's the has level, like a really. That, that's the level of writing. Thing. Yeah, everything. I remember somebody saying that everything is really stupid. What did they call humans? They were like man animals. Man animal. Oh my god! Why well, you were learning how to spell your name? I was, I was trying to conquer galaxies. Conquer galaxies. Now, can you oh, imagine? No, no. Richard Christian has apologized for that movie over and over again. Do you know that Quentin Tarantino almost directed that? Could you imagine Tarantino with that script? Um, I would think he probably would have thrown it out and rewrote it himself. I, you know what? There are times where you want to have like an alternate like a parallel universe where you could go in and see what the Quentin Tarantino version of that movie would be. Like how would that either would have been amazing or it would have ruined his career. I'm going to go with ruined his career. Uh, this was a John I, Travolta vanity project. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, he, I think Travolta cause Tarantino was largely responsible for bringing his career back from the dead. I think Travolta would have given him a lot more leniency than say another director. So I don't really know. I'm curious, like that just, it's fascinating as to what it would have been, but uh, as opposed to what it was, I just, I just remember the fact that a hundred or so cavemen go into Fort Knox and find a bunch of jets and everything that still work after being in there for hundreds of years and guns that still work after being in there for hundreds of years and manage to fight off the Cyclone army, go back to their home planet, blow up their home planet because of the training of like one guy. His actual name is Johnny Goodboy Tyler. 
Yeah, it's so ludicrous. Like, I am willing to suspend my disbelief about certain things, but the fact that they just went that over the top, like, I, cause the opening of the movie is Earth's defenses at the time were, def- were they defeated in like nine minutes? Nine by, minutes. By the Cyclone Army or something? Cyclone. And, Cyclone. Okay. Cyclone because see, Army. there, there, there's an underlying thing. L. Ron Hubbard doesn't believe in psychiatry. So psychiatry, psychoanalyzing Cyclo as the villain Uh. because the underlying theme of the book is anti-psychology and pro-scientology of course and and since Hubbard has no subtlety whatsoever it's not very subtle yeah I I remember being a young impressionable dummy and uh I picked up uh I kept seeing commercials for Dianetics and, uh, you know, it looked it's like, like a sci-fi book, didn't it? It, it looked like a sci-fi book, but it also looked like, cause they also used to run those ads for like, you know, do you, do you want to learn about the mysteries of Stonehenge? Headbangers Ball used to play those commercials. Yes! So that was the thing. So I like, I went out and I was like, I don't know what the hell Dianetics is. It, it's like this book about your life or science or something. And I'm reading it and I'm like, eh, this horse shit. What about when you have a director? Now, I've got two movies of his on this list where you just constantly ask yourself, why does, why do studios keep giving John Derrick money to make movies? Did they not see Tarzan the Ape Man? Did they not see Ghosts Can't Do It? Which technically was his last film, so they stopped after that. John Derrick, all of his films are about how awesome John Derrick is, and hey, look at how hot my wife Bo Derrick is, and they are some of the most inept, poorly written films you'll ever encounter. And you just ask yourself, why do studios keep giving John Derrick money? I didn't mind Tarzan the Ape Man all that much. I, I believe that was the first time that I saw boobies. Oh, come on. You didn't even see him in Sheena. I don't, I think Tarzan the Ape Man I saw prior to that. So, God, I yeah. miss the days when a PG movie could have tits in it. I know, right? God, a frickin' Sheena. Sheena had repeated full, well, had re- full frontal and it had an, uh, a, a, you know, repeated boob and butt shot. So it was uh, quite lo- lovely. But yeah, I'm Tarzan the Ape Man. I, I saw it on cable sometime in like the, the mid eighties. Were you ever and... disappointed in a Tarzan movie that barely has any Tarzan in it? Well, no, because I didn't really give a shit about Tarzan because at the time it was all about like Bo Derek like uh, and then you know I had seen because everyone was like oh if you liked uh, if you liked uh, Tarzan the Ape Man you got to see this movie called 10 and 10 I actually think is I mean that was Blake Edwards so that was legit look funny and uh, and I do think that that's probably the best she ever looked because there were times where I think she maybe either had some surgery done or like didn't really kind of look although oh wait and then no Bolero and then Bolero was like the big deal I think wasn't that was that another John Derek yeah that was John Derrick again, but I think Bolero was canon. So yeah. that was Glenn Globeth. They were always a filmmaker's studio. Have you seen Ghost Can't Do It? Not just Brad Jones's review, but have you seen the train wreck that is Ghost Can't Do It? No, I, I have never had. It's always just kind of been one of those ongoing jokes, but like never actually seen it. It's one of those films where when someone goes, this is one of the worst movies ever made, you, there is no debate on, well, I don't, cause you know, a lot of times we'll go, well, I don't know about that. Ghost can't do it. You go, this movie is literally inept. I swear they had Anthony Quinn for two days and they shot all of his stuff separate after he only shares like two, two or three scenes with Bo Derek and the rest of the movie is him against a straight black background commenting on things Bo Derek is doing. This isn't even film school 101, man. Well, apparently ghosts can't do it. 
It actually has a cameo by Donald Trump playing Donald Trump, and in the credits, it's credited as, yes, that's actually Donald Trump. It was bizarre, but, you know, what about when you have a director who's completely out of control? I happen to like Myra Breckenridge, but I understand that movie is a complete train wreck, and I get why people don't. You've seen Myra Breckenridge, right? No. It was so ineptly directed, barely watchable film. The entire film is edited because it's all about old Hollywood and the, 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 the illusion of manliness that Hollywood films used to bring about. It's constantly, almost, almost pre-MTV editing style, these inserts of old Hollywood movies and Abbott and Costello films and stuff. And then there's the scene where Myra is raping a guy or she's sodomizing a guy that she has on a table because she's going to show him just how fragile manliness actually is and it's intercut with scenes of like Shirley Temple and 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 then and then Myra's dressed as a witch and it's just one of those what the hell is the director he spent 18 hours shooting a cake because the shadows were not landing on it just right it's in the film for 3 seconds Myra Breckenridge is kind of a film you need to see I can't really give the plot twist away, but it's it's got it's got some rape in it, and not the way you think. Oh dear! Not a lot of people have seen, and that's probably a good thing. And it's it's a shame because it is. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic premise. I thought the concept was great. I thought it really had a lot of potential. But unfortunately, they decided to shoot it a style that is called mumblecore. The movie is called Coherence. And mumblecore, what it is, is it is a style of filmmaking where you do zero preparation. No audio tests. No scripting. No white balancing. This so sounds all a lot like that Scott Shaw Zen filmmaking possibly but i mean but this but it's a style of filmmaking people are like you don't get it it's organic and it's like oh no it's bad filmmaking because all because it's not white balance so all the shots are blown out there's no audio uh no audio so you can't you can't hear certain things it's not scripted so people are making stuff up off the fly and talking over each other basically they give them a beginning a middle and an end uh they say okay here's what's going to happen in the beginning here's what's going to happen in the middle here's what's going to happen in the end and you guys just kind of talk your way through the film and then we'll edit it together to have it all make sense that sounds exactly that sounds exactly like the scott shaw zen filmmaking scott shaw puts out this idea that to find true zen in filmmaking that storyboards and scripts get in the way of creativity and that true filmmaking is made on the day oh god I understand there are brilliant moments that come into with ad-libbing. Want me to rape them? You know, but like there are moments that just were not scripted, but ended up being amazing and they worked really well. Or just something happens organically on set. Like I understand, like the brilliance in that I see, but just going in and just no kind of technical, you know, behind the scenes work. It's all just kind of done on the fly. Everything's shaky cam because they don't have any time to set up tripods. You know, it's just a camera aiming everybody's talking and they're all talking over each other and they're all and so you never really have any idea what the hell's going on but the movie i thought was it had a really good idea it was about this party of of like people they all got together they were there because there was going to be a comet that was going to fly over and they were going to watch the comet but what happened was when the comet flew over it created a series of clones uh, like out of them 
So like they were, they kept seeing themselves and then they kept getting messages from themselves from a different, from possibly a different time or, and it was like, it was, it was really like, I'm like, okay, this is a cool idea, but I can't, I can't get into it because it shot so poorly. I've seen student films that were done with more skill. This was horribly done. I, I hated it. I actually gave it like, said it was one of the worst films of that year. And it's a shame because I wanted to like it so much, but it's unwatchable in its current state. And there's, and there's nothing you could do to fix it because everything about it is bad. You, you get that sometimes where, no, the next two films I'm going to bring up, they're not good movies. And I don't think if they were shot better, they would be good movies. The Last Resident Evil and Die Hard 5. You just ask yourself, who okayed the dailies on these? The Last Resident Evil, I think, could very well be fixed with editing because editing is what killed the movie for me. It was they they hired a guy named Doobie White to edit the Doobie film. Dude. And oh my god, it looks like some it looks like it was edited by somebody named Doobie White. I was infuriated by the editing in in Resident Evil uh the the last one. I just it it hurt my head because I'm sitting there I really wanted to enjoy it cuz I have enjoyed the Resident Evil movies. They're fun. They're not really great interpretations of the games, but they're enjoyable. And this was everything all coming together and I'm like, "Why did you decide on the last film of the series to have it edited?" completely different than the previous five films boggled my mind i don't know why the hell they did that i like so this is a case of where i don't think that it really was the dailies that were bad i think it was just that whoever decided to uh edit it with a wood chipper should never work in film again die hard five you don't get that same out Oh God! Die, no, Die Hard Five is unwatchable. Die Hard Five is uh, is John Moore, who is a director that I don't understand. Every movie that he's done has beyond Behind Enemy Lines was a failure. Flight of the Phoenix was a failure. The Omen was a failure. Max Payne was a failure. So what do they do? They give him the billion dollar Die Hard franchise to do. Like every single movie he has done has been a box office failure, critically and financially. And they give him the Die Hard series. Only and what in does Hollywood he do? Can you fail? upwards really he's got to have naked pictures of somebody because nobody gets that many chances and continues to fail and yet gets a billion dollar franchise like that and then on top of that puts out the worst diehard like i mean the diehard movies one two three and four uh one being one of the the greatest films ever made and then the rest of them being various levels of entertaining but none of them i would say are flat out bad a good day to die hard everything is wrong about it it's too long bruce willis just feels like he's phoning it in this story feels like it was another story which i found out later it was this was a another script that they shoehorned it into being a diehard film you can only make that work on best of the best movies oh yeah that's you can only make that work on best yeah exactly because they yeah they they went off the rails but still ended up being good you, you got jai courtney who just it was a pile of wood again it, it, jai, like jai courtney is a charisma vacuum he is the only time I liked him was surprisingly in Terminator Genesis, but that's a whole other story. Jai, but in, Jai, Cor- Jai Courtney makes Sam Worthington look talented. 
Oh yeah. So like he, <laughs> he truly does. I don't understand. I, it's like, all right, I get that he's in shape, but like, I don't know anybody who likes him and I don't know anybody who really, has there ever been somebody who's like, oh, I wasn't going to see this movie, but then I found out that Jai Courtney was in it. You know, like I That's don't. That's what happens with Channing Tatum. Somehow that giant block of wood with hair is one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood. I don't get it. Yeah, he, like, I, I get that he's like, I get that he's in good shape and like, he, but he really doesn't have any charisma, uh, as, as a buddy of mine said. He said he looks like he's suffering from some sort of syndrome. He, he, he always, he always looks like, like his brain is functioning at, at half capacity. Yeah, he really, and I, I, I don't know if he's a good guy or whatever. I'm just simply going off of his acting prowess. He really always just seems to be perplexed in everything that he's doing. It's always like, the, the, the only time he ever surprised me when he was on the Ellen show and he dropped the Friday the 13th, the TV series reference. And I went, well, that was random. All right, maybe he's got a little, you know, some a driver behind the wheel, but whenever he's acting, it's always just bland. And that's kind of why I was glad that they killed his character in G.I. Joe. And then, uh, but then they brought him back for like extra, sh- you know, because they were like, oh crap, we killed our most bankable star. Die Hard 5 is, is horrendous. And he, he literally killed the franchise. Like they, they want to do, you know, they were planning on, oh, we're going to do a couple more because they were setting things up for like him and Jai Courtney and then for like, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And it just, it bombed so bad and it just, people hated it. Like everybody, like there, I don't know anybody that likes that film. It is abysmal. Well, what about when desperately trying to save a movie only makes it worse? Obviously, we could maybe say that about Justice League, but again, just leave that alone for now. The next two I'm going to bring up are both sci-fi movies, and both of them, we've never seen the first cut, the one that the studio said was unreleasable. Supernova and Solar Crisis. Supernova has a great story behind it. And no, I'm just talking about the movie itself. Every no, I, I know, but to I'm try saying... and save it made it worse. I know, but there is apparently, and and I know, shout you know slash Scream Factory. They tried to get the original because the original cut of the movie exists, but they tried to get the original cut of the film. And the director who did the original cut of the film does still stand behind it. But because there was a whole big to do about three that, three more directors after him, including Francis Ford Coppola. Exactly, and and they just they couldn't. And and they, there are clips in one of the trailers where you can see some of the stuff. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the script of the original one is out there for whatever reason they just decided to come back and they did uh, massive reshoots they did like 60 or 70 percent of the film and shorn and all kinds of stuff and like you said three more directors and apparently the, the original director is like that like what's what was wrong with the original one like why was it so, like so bad and so i was holding out hope that they would somehow be able to pull that off and get the original cut and they got i believe like some deleted scenes but they weren't able to really get the full thing and that's such a shame because i would love to see what the original version was but we at this point we probably never will i mean unless like it unless it somehow leaks uh, in like a studio merger or something, but more than likely we will probably never see it. Well, and then there was Solar Crisis. Remember the Alan Smithy film from 1990? Solar Crisis is one of those ones you can tell when you're watching it, you're watching two different directors. Now, I haven't seen it since 1992. I seem to remember all of Charlton Heston and Cora Nemec scenes, 
have nothing whatsoever to do with Tim Matheson or Peter Boyle or anyone else's plotline. It, it's almost like you have two movies going on at the same time. They even like it looks like they were shot on like different film stock. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was about to say. The film stocks don't even match. Yeah, it just looks completely different. Well, okay. Then how about when an accomplished director, I actually like Brett Leonard overall. What about when he, an accomplished director makes a cinematic abomination that you just go, was this just all an embezzling scheme like Highlander the Source? That film, if you didn't know better, it looks like a $1 million asylum film. And then you find out it had a $16 million budget. And you ask yourself, did all of that go to Adrian Paul? Because that didn't wind up on the screen. Yeah, I don't think it went all to Adrian Paul because Adrian Paul's not pulling in that much bank. But uh well, then where did this where did the other fifteen million go? Could be like some movies where uh I know the director or one of the producers thought it would be a good idea. Hey, we can increase our budget. I'm going to take this down to uh, Vegas and double our production budget and then come back and be like, hey, guys, um, remember? We have to shoot in Czechoslovakia. Yeah, we we, we now have to shoot in Prague. We're we're not, we don't really have, we have about five million bucks, so we have to fire like half of you. I mean, they literally couldn't even afford Queen. Remember that, that ear rape? Of Princes of the Universe that the movie used? <laughs> yeah. Oof. And then, okay, that's just on the production. You look at Highland of the Source and you go, what happened? Adrian Paul stumps me with the, his promotion of this movie. Now, either Adrian Paul is a bald-faced liar or the greatest actor I've ever seen in my life. You look at some of the promotional materials for Highlander the Source. He says not only will Highlander fans love it, it's a love letter to the series and that he thinks over time it will replace the original film as the fan favorite. And you ask yourself, so Adrian, are you deluded or are you just straight lying to me? Okay, here's the thing, and you know this. Whenever somebody is on the uh on the promotional trail, they're going to if they like their job, they're going to say whatever they think the audience wants to hear in order to get asses in the seats. So if they're going to say that this is a great movie, it's a love letter to fans, exactly what they want to see, it's oh, you can't wait, oh, you're going to love this. They are of course not necessarily lying, but they're telling Telling people what they think that they want to hear. That's a and, lie. Well, yes, but they're telling them what they think they want to hear. And there, and there are, I mean, every actor is guilty of this. And you very rarely will get an instance where years later, if an actor has enough clout that he can say whatever he wants and not have to worry about any repercussion, then a lot of times they'll come back, you know, a decade later. Yeah, that movie was a piece of crap. Or you get somebody like Michael Madsen who does not hair and he used to i know he he actually i don't know whether somebody made him take it down or uh if he himself took it down but on his website he had a listing of all of his movies and next to it was a listing of why he did the movie and it was like dean cameron chainsaw from summer school used to have that i i meant you have to use the wayback machine because it's not on his current website dean cameron did that too and he told all of the stories on every single movie or tv project not only why he did it but why it turned out the way it did oh wow that's awesome see that that eh, you you have to either be really set in the industry or you have to have a lot of f you money 
to, to be able to or do that. Or you just don't care anymore. Or you just don't, well, that was the kind of thing with Michael Madsen. Like, he's just like, uh, I did this movie because, uh, you know, I put my, my, put my daughter through college. Uh, this one, I just got divorced. I need to pay the bitch off. This one, like, he's, I mean, it, you know, just that, that Madsen bluntness that you would expect from him. And, uh, yeah. So I'm sure actually if you probably did, uh, a way back machine on that, I didn't even think of that. You'd probably be able to still find it. But most actors, directors, whatever, they don't get into that comfortable groove. They keep working until they essentially die and, uh, they never get to a point of where the majority majority of them don't have that FU money that they can just say, you know, why this was a failure. Well, then what about a movie where it's just filled with such questionable decisions? You have to wonder if the director was maybe having a stroke while filming. The, I got two on my list here for this. Now, one, you know, you and I, have, we, we've interviewed Uwe Boll. I love Uwe Boll, and I like more of his movies than I don't. But remember when we were interviewing and I told him House of the Dead was one of the worst films I'd ever seen, and he was surprisingly cool with it? I I admire his candor. I like the fact that, like, cause I, I was one of those raging, oh my god, this guy, uh, uh, and then like, once I actually had a chance to talk to him, I'm like, you know what? He won me over. And I still think that he's a terrible filmmaker in the movies that he did prior to giving a shit, you know, cause even he admits the video game movies, he was doing them because they were, you know, paying bank and he was cranking them out and there was the whole German tax law loophole and it's like they didn't care about the quality, they just wanted the movie out there. House of the Dead is a whole different animal. It's filled with such bad decisions. Number one has to be the integrating of the old House of the Dead video game footage, totally random points in the movie. Well, according to him, he was talking about how that was a brilliant decision in filmmaking. No, it wasn't. No, it was not. Because I, I was unlucky enough to see that in theater. And who boy, I'm like, oh, this is going to be really it's so shockingly it's, out of place, isn't it? It's awful. Oh, mind bogglingly awful. And, uh, so I had a major problem with that. But then, uh, Alone in the Dark comes out. Alone in the Dark is also terrible. It's so bad. And it was like, okay, this guy is getting movie licenses that he should not. And he's making terrible movies that have nothing to do with the source material. I kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say respect for, respect him, but I've grown to like the guy. I love the Rampage movies and Postal. And oh yeah, that's what Wall I'm saying. And- when he gives a shit, he actually puts out good movies. When he just, when he went through that phase, and that was the phase that got him the attention. I mean, arguably, he wouldn't really, you know, he wouldn't have bold EKG now if it wasn't for those terrible movies that he did. So I kind of understand why he did it, it but I don't have to like it. Well, but then the other one is when Kim Hinkle decided, you know what Texas Chainsaw Massacre needs? Leatherface as a tranny. Matthew McConaughey with a robot leg. And <laughs> Renee Zellweger as the ugly girl. A historical quote spouting hick brother with, with a with a cattle prod. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre, next generation or new generation, depending on which cut you get, is so wrong-headed. To hear Kim Hinkle, this is the true sequel, it's the true follow-up, all those other films were terrible. Remember, there was only two other films at that point. You just go, I actually think the first, the first film being good based on Kim Henkel's involvement was a fluke. Yeah. Now, Texas Chainsaw The Next Generation is terrible. However, I find it highly entertaining. 
for being terrible. So that's one and McConaughey's where McConaughey's awesome in it. And McConaughey is giving a perf- he's probably giving one of the best performances he's ever given, you know, cuz there was all of those romantic, you know, rom-coms that he did oh, where failure to launch and uh, ghost of girlfriends past where that. he was phoning it in, man. He's just all right, all right, all right. And they were just unwatchable garbage. I hated those movies. When you see something like that, then you're like, okay, that's the McConaughey that got nominated for an Oscar. You know, he's all in on this completely absurd character. Yet, yet in a movie that he claims he wished he'd never made, didn't want to make it and hated making. Now, see, that's the thing where I, I think, uh, much like Bruce Campbell saying that he thinks that, uh, Maniac Cop is the worst movie he's ever made. I think that's one of those hindsight things where it's like, you know, oh no, I didn't want to make that. You realize that it's a, a, I think he called it a dog. And it's like, no, I heard you on the commentary. You were gushing over making this movie. It wasn't until you became cool. And believe me, I still love Bruce Campbell, but it was like, it wasn't until you really became like, you know, the cool guy that, uh, you had to go and, and go after like one of your lesser known films instead yeah, of the going. The commentary was recorded in 1991. Yeah. The commentary the was, it was for the Laserdisc. Exactly. So it was way, you know, before he really kind of became a thing. And, uh, yeah, he was talking about how much, how much fun he had on the movie and how it was great and a great experience. He worked with, you know, such good people and, and you could tell that he was proud of it and you know he couldn't couldn't go ahead and crap on congo you know he couldn't go crap on on one of his bigger movies you know because that was what was paying the bills at the time and i think that that was really sad so mcconaughey kind of the same thing he was all in making that movie and then trying to now say that he didn't want to do it did you now you're lying you know, stop. I'm going to cheat a little and not make a, not go with a movie. You've seen the 2011 Wonder Woman unaired pilot, right? Only clips. I, I know we were talking about it, but I've never actually seen the entire thing. It is so brutally wrongheaded. And I, I love David E. Kelly. You know, The Practice, Boston Legal, Chicago Hope, Picket Fences, Ally McBeal, Snoops, etc. I don't know what happened. I literally think he had a stroke while writing this. This is such a disaster. You just ask yourself, why did you ever think this would work? Wonder Woman is Batman, but she's she's the psychopath Batman that everyone accuses Batman versus Superman Batman of being. She tortures suspects to hear them scream. She flaunts the law. She beats up cops trying to stop her from killing people. She wantonly kills. She says laws don't apply to her. And then she's hailed as a hero throughout the whole pilot. And you just go, what the happened all the while wearing the most ridiculous looking wonder woman outfit that i've seen like they did the uh halloween costumes of wonder woman look better they did the wonder woman porno and it had a better costume than the freaking tv series that comes up from time to time um a little awful comedy called i accidentally domed your son I can't even find a proper trailer for this thing, man. Yeah, I think that's because everybody involved realizes that they shouldn't have done this. Uh, I think made on a budget of about $5, a group of guys that uh, haven't seen each other in a while, so they decide that it's a good time to go get some weed and get really high. So they uh, can't find weed anywhere, and they go to buy weed off of the son of this local mobster, and they accidentally shoot him in the head. Now, hence the... That'll happen from time to time. 
man. Uh, of course, you know what? I was out buying weed, shot somebody in the head. Oops, I accidentally domed your son. So that was the thing. Apparently, domed is uh, a slang that I've never heard of before of shooting somebody in the head. They kill this mobster's kid, so now the mobster has other mobsters looking to kill these guys. Hijinks ensue. We just wanted to get high. It's filled with horrendous acting, horrendous everything. It's not funny. Audio is terrible. So there's a lot of times where kind of like coherence where they're talking over each other. So you can't tell what who's saying what it is. Just it's an ugly looking film and it is a completely inept pile of crap. And it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And this is from somebody who watches a lot of terrible movies. Yeah, I um I was flabbergasted by how bad this movie was. No, no, sometimes the inept movies can be fun especially when when they're played Ed Wood style straight. Because you'll notice I have no Ed Wood movies on this list because I think his tenacity and his earnestness override his ineptness as a director. I remember when I took my girlfriend to go see the riff tracks last year of Samurai Cop. Now, I'd obviously already seen Samurai Cop. She'd never seen the movie. So this was her first time seeing it. Can you imagine going into a movie like Samurai Cop Cold? That movie is so ineptly made, but it's so the director really thought he was making the next Die Hard, didn't he? Yeah, he thought he was onto something. And uh, thank God that he did, because the end result is hilarious. Like, it's so, like, even with or without the riff tracks, like, that is the kind of movie that you can watch and enjoy, you know, flavored or unflavored. It is terrible, but it is hysterically funny. The only complaint I had about the riff tracks was they cut out all the nudity. Because I'm like, and then this is where Melissa Moore's boot, wait a minute, they just cut to the next scene? Yeah. I was, I was telling my girlfriend, like, no, 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 she had a sex scene right there. Yeah, the Rift Tracks, they pride themselves on being uh PG-13, so a lot of times if they get to a movie, the only time that they did not cut out the sex scene was simply because uh was The Room. When you make a movie based on a fad. Now, these next two are made almost 40 years apart. Who thought Can't Stop the Music of the Village People movie was a good idea? And couple that with the cynical cash-in from this year, the Emoji movie. Because really, I think they're both the same thing. Completely horrible train wreck movies that were made very fast to cash in on a very quickly dying trend. Yeah, um, and the, the emoji movie, see, that was the thing with, uh, with something like Can't Stop the Music, they could really slap that together and get it out quickly. But the emoji movie did require, like, some CG work and whatnot. So, uh, for them to get that out, they could not get that out fast enough. Cause when they announced it, people were already kind of like, uh, maybe if you put this out now, it might work. But then it was like a year and a half later that they actually got the movie out. And by that point, people were really thinking this was was a bad idea can't stop the music is like okay like i think it's kind of funny and it's really humorous to see you know here's this where they're this serious band and it's the village people and so to see them like walking down the street in like the indian and cop costume and all that and, but to try to like not laugh like that like is it worse to see bruce jenner in the movie with the big adam's apple knowing what would happen years later yeah looking it's like oh bruce you silly guy <laughs> you silly fella how about I go back on something I said? I'm going to include an Ed Wood movie. I'm sorry, Orgy of the Dead? That is Ed Wood at his absolute worst. Everyone's calls Plan 9 bad, brother. No. Have you ever tried to actually sit through Orgy of the Dead? No. But, um, but I will back you up on, like, Glenn or Glenda and Plan 9 and all those are, they're not good movies, 
but they are watchable movies. They are, I love Plan 9 and Bride of the Monster. There is, there is a charm to them, mostly, you know, coming from, from Bell Lugosi, at least for, you know, uh, more of Glenn or Glenda. But there is something about them. There is an earnestness there. And they're framed well. They're not like, I mean, it's not completely inept. It's not like a, you know, and I always, I mean, I think a lot of it is you get the new trend of, oh, it's the worst movie of all time. It's like, no, there are movies that like are just, they're, they're shot on video, unwatchable. These at least you can kind of watch and, you know, poke fun at and enjoy. So, uh, yeah, I, I am with you on the fact that I think a lot of, a lot of the Ed Wood movies are not necessarily necessarily good movies but they are watchable movies i have not seen i haven't seen all of his films so yeah orgy of the dead is one i haven't seen the violent years and stuff like that eh, you know what it's you know i'm not gonna sit down and watch it every weekend but if it's on and i'm killing time or something i'll watch it and laugh at it orgy of the dead is are you familiar with the the 1960s term the nudie cutie no it was basically girls get naked they dance around a paper thin plot so you could get nudity out on film this is uh, during the Hayes code still before the mpaa and they were called nudie cuties this is essentially a horror version of a nudie cutie a couple in mismatched footage because it's daytime when their car is driving but it's always nighttime for an inside shot of the car they get into a car crash and they die and then criswell playing i guess kind of a vampire lord sort of makes uh, them watch girls in werewolf masks and mummy costumes dance around with no tops on this goes on for an hour and a half <laughs> wow i'm not joking the movie it to me is an endurance test because on paper you could go oh my it's an ed wood movie with dancing and nudity and monsters all right and then after 10 minutes you're like Oh my god, this is hell! Oof. It actually makes you hate boobies after a while. I don't know, I, I sat through Mondo Topless. <laughs> Mondo Topless. I'm just saying Orgy of the Dead. I, like I said, I had forgotten that that was on my list and that that was Ed Wood. Orgy of the Dead is so hard to sit through, man. And it's literally just a nudie cutie with monsters. Movies like Epic Movie where, like another, again, comedies that just... It's, Censorburg. It is a endless string of references. It's not, like, funny. It's like, there's no joke here. It's just, hey, here's this person. They look like... They look like Paris Hilton, and something falls on them, and that's funny. Like, no, that's just not funny. The Setzerberg movies are channel-awesome movies with larger budgets. That's yeah. all they are. And it's a shame, because they killed uh, parodies. You know, we got Airplane and a Naked Gun, and, and then they came along, and it's like, oh, right, this this stinks. <laughs> but you know what doesn't stink? Cecil. No, well, I least, don't. Well, at least I hope not. I think he showers once a week. I so. shower daily, I my good sir. Well, where can people find your freshly showered ass? You can find me smelling of uh, Axe body spray. <laughs> Such a douchebag. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? <laughs> no, actually, I would uh, Old Spice or uh, Irish Spring. I think maybe a little more of that. Uh, anyway. Personally, I've always found Febreze has a nice ring to it. Uh, Febreze on your testes. What am I talking about? It's been a long day. Hey! I just outed that, but go ahead. Where, yes. where can we find you? You can find me for breezing my testes at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, 
And, uh, and, well, I, well, I was just gonna, and then I was gonna end with, you can also find me, but it's good bad flicks on that 1201 beyond thing that is, uh, really cool and there's good people there. Um, although Except I just, dis- although I disagree, I disagree with this friggin' loony that runs the whole show. Who is that? I good? wonder who, I wonder who he could be. I yeah. think he's crazy. He's nuts. He doesn't like anything DC, you jerk. And that person would be me, Josh Hadley, who you, who you can contact at 1201beyond.com or at 1201beyond at gmail.com. So, guys, when you see an inept movie, what does it make you think of? Hit us with your thoughts. Until then, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Is this a joke? There must be some mistake. Am I on candid camera? Am I even awake? Fuck me! Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.